You're listening to the Baseball Prospect Journal Podcast. Here is your host, Dan Zielinski. Welcome back to another edition of the Baseball Prospect Journal Podcast. I'm Dan Zielinski, founder and national writer at BaseballProspectJournal.com. You can find all of my work, especially my extensive MLB draft coverage at BaseballProspectJournal.com. You can also find me on Twitter at DanZielinski3. The 2023 MLB draft has come and gone. It's hard to believe the 2023 draft cycle is already over. It was an exciting draft year with so much talent and parity in this year's draft class. And that excitement carried throughout the three days of the draft and really started with the Pittsburgh Pirates holding the number one overall pick. I want to get in to the first five picks in this year's draft class and then also just take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers and what they were able to do in this year's draft. First, starting with the first overall pick, the Pittsburgh Pirates played their cards really close to their chest. They didn't allow a lot of information to leak and it was kind of split amongst industry experts what direction the Pirates were going to go with the first overall pick. I had them and a lot of other people had them taking Wyatt Langford, the outfielder from Florida. He was a guy that has a really great skill set. He's a five-tool player and a similar skill set to Dylan Cruz, but has less track record than a Dylan Cruz does. So it made a lot of sense for the Pirates to go that way and maybe underslot Wyatt Langford and save some money. But instead of going with a position player, the Pirates opted for Paul Skeens, the right-handed pitcher from LSU. Skeens is one of the best pitching prospects. He is the best pitching prospect in the last 10 years since Steven Strasburg. He's a guy with ace potential, has an elite fastball slider combination, great size, great makeup, work ethic on the mound, and someone that any team could build their starting rotation a round. So he ended up being the first overall pick for the Pirates, and he's someone that's going to fly through a minor league system. It's easy to see why the Pirates went that way, but for me, it's hard to pass on a guy like Dylan Cruz, who ended up going second overall to the Washington Nationals, followed by Max Clark, who was a little bit of a surprise, going third overall to the Detroit Tigers. Most expected them to go Wyatt Langford if he was still on the board, but the Tigers opted for the five-tool player in Max Clark, who profiles as kind of an advanced high school guy with five-tool potential, will stick in center field for sure long-term, and really has great bat-to-ball skills. And then fourth overall was Wyatt Langford to the Rangers, and rounding out the top five, was Walker Jenkins, the high school outfielder from North Carolina, going to the Minnesota Twins. There's a little bit of uncertainty with the Twins pick. Some expected them to go the college route. That was a demographic they really liked going into this draft, but they ended up taking one of the top five players in this year's draft class, allowing all the top five players in this class to go in the top five picks. And then on from there, there's a lot of uncertainty. There is a lot of, I don't want to say surprises, but definitely with the amount of parity in this year's draft class, it really came down to a team's preference from player to player. And we saw that throughout the draft. Going down to the Milwaukee Brewers at pick 18, the Brewers have historically preferred up the middle college performers with high floors tend to be lower ceiling type players. They've preferred that type of player in recent drafts and most expected them to go that direction. The Brewers had been tied 
two college position players this entire draft cycle and I really thought that's where they were going to go but once the first round kind of started to get going and the Brewers got closer to being on the clock there weren't a lot of great options Tommy Troy was off the board Jacob Wilson was off the board Nolan Shawnawell the first baseman corner outfielder that has kind of a unique skill set for those positions he was off the board you also had Matt Shaw off the board. The shortstop from Maryland going to the Chicago Cubs at pick 13. He was off the board. So the Brewers didn't have a lot of great options when it came to kind of their preference. And who knows what the Brewers would have done if one of those guys were still on the board when they picked at number 18. But they opted to go with Brock Wilkin, the power hitting third baseman from Wake Forest. And this pick was a little bit of a surprise. Brock Wilkin, he's a first round talent. No one's doubting that. But the Brewers haven't gone third base since 2008 when they took Brett Lowry in the first round. This is not a position demographic the Brewers have leaned on and gone to in a very long time. So once they did take Brock Wilkin, it was a little bit of a surprise, but it's easy to see why the Brewers went this route. First, they're going to save some money, and we'll get into that here talking about some of their other picks. But then looking at the player in Brock Wilkin, he's a guy that just destroyed the ball this year. He's six foot four, 225 pounds, power hitting right-handed hitter. He's got above average raw power. Definitely going to be a guy that could hit 30 home runs in the big leagues. He's improved on his average walks, cut down on his strikeouts this season at Wake Forest. He also showed better feel against breaking pitches and had more success against breaking pitches this year. So all positive signs. And then defensively, he's a guy that has above average arm strength and could have a chance to stick at third base long term. If he can't, he'll move over to first base. I think he can probably stick at third base based on my live looks of him and seeing him in person play at the College World Series. I thought he needs to improve on his lateral movement that's something I think stood out as kind of a weakness of his it's not a huge weakness but something that definitely needs to improve for him to be able to cover more ground at the hot corner but his arm strength is definitely going to play at third base I think he also has pretty soft hands too at third too so that will help him as well Wilkin he's going to be a power hitter that's going to be his calling card he's going to strike out a bit hopefully if you're the Brewers and you're their development system he sees improvement in that area but either way like I said his calling card is going to be his power and then in the competitive balance a round the Brewers kind of went with another surprise at 33 overall they took Josh Noth the right-handed pitcher prep pitcher from New York he's a guy that was getting some first round interest he's a guy that teams were high on even though maybe the industry in terms of the writers weren't as high on him. Noth was a guy that a lot of teams liked, and he was someone that was kind of projected to go in this kind of general area, maybe early second round too. And the Brewers in Noth are getting a guy who's six foot one, 190 pounds. Fastball sits in the mid-90s, touches 98. Overall, Noth has unique characteristics that I think are going to thrive in their pitching lab. Someone the Brewers can mold into a quality starter down the line. He uses a tight three-quarters arm slot, quick arm action. He's athletic on the mound and overall really simple mechanics. So I could really expect the Brewers to unleash a lot more with Noth. He definitely needs to develop a third pitch. That's not uncommon for a high school pitcher, but something just to keep in mind and consider as he makes his way through the Brewers farm system. 
and like I said, I project him as a starter. I think he can be a starter long term. And it's going to come down to being able to throw strikes consistently, which he's shown he can do at these lower levels and also developing that third pitch. And then in the second round, the Brewers went with another third baseman, taking Mike Bovey, the third baseman from Omaha. The college position player is was kind of under the radar coming through this draft cycle. He's a guy that's one of the best contact hitters in this year's draft class. A left-handed hitter who's got some good size, and his left-handed swing is really built for hitting line drives to all parts of the field. He doesn't show a lot of power, only had 13 home runs in his three years at Omaha, showed tremendous plate discipline, and had a lot of success there, and then, like I said, was able to use his line drives to hit for high average and get on base. Scouts believe that maybe a slight mechanical tweak to his swing could unleash more power, allow him to hit with some more loft in his swing. So we'll see if the Brewers decide to kind of tinker with this swing at all, but his calling card is going to be his ability to hit line drives and get on base. Defensively, kind of similar to Wilkin. Nothing really special, but I think he could stick at third base. He's athletic, got decent arm strength, moves pretty well. But again, he's not flashy. He's not a gold lover, but he'll handle the job at third base. And I like this pick. I think it's worth a shot. If they can unleash some power with Bovey, it really could pay off in a big way. But to me, the Brewers draft all comes down to what they did on day two. The Brewers kind of focused on two picks throughout rounds three through ten on day two. First, in the third round, they decided to go with Eric Batanti, the shortstop from the California high school ranks. This is a guy the Brewers are extremely familiar with. He played on their area code team, which is kind of a travel, high-level prospect team that competes against other area code teams. And Batanti, he's a guy that... Definitely had second round valued, second round grade, and he's young for his age, won't turn 18 until November. And what immediately stands out about Batanti is his size. He's 6'5, 225 pounds, left handed hitter who is really known for his offensive tools, shows an ability to hit for average and above average power, and is really going to have a lot of success at the plate if he can hit that premium velocity consistently down the line at the major league level. He uses all fields. He's able to consistently impact the baseball, which I think is key when we're talking about a power hitter. Being able to consistently drive the baseball and not swing and miss a lot is huge. And defensively, high school shortstop, a guy who is a quality athlete with strong instincts, and body control. He also has above average arm strength. From a skill perspective, I think he would have a chance to stick at shortstop. I know talking to him, interviewing him earlier on this year, he's a guy that wants to stick at shortstop, but I think he's best suited at third base where he could be an above average defender down the line. But either way, this is an upside play. Batanti has great present tools and a lot of upside and really could be a special player out of this draft class for the Brewers. Another guy that could be a special player, frankly a guy I did not expect them to draft, it came in the sixth round when they selected Cooper Pratt, a shortstop of the Mississippi high school ranks. First off, I wasn't sure if how signable Pratt would be. He's a guy that when I spoke with him, he talked about his strong commitment to Ole Miss. He's a guy that is family friends and good friends with Ole Miss head coach Mike Bianco. He also grew up about 10 minutes from the Ole Miss campus, so there's definitely a lot of 
upside and intrigue for him to go to Ole Miss, but now with the Brewers selecting him in the top 10 rounds, it appears that he's going to end up signing and starting his pro career. Very rarely does a top 10 round guy not sign when selected. Teams always do their due diligence and kind of look into it before they select a player. Last year, only three guys didn't sign that were top 10 picks. And like I said, it's overall just usually very rare. So I would expect Cooper Pratt to be signed by the Brewers. They'll definitely have to go way over slot, but I think they get the job done. Talking about Pratt, though, as a player. He's six foot four, 200 pounds, and he's really a well-rounded shortstop. First, his offensive tools, he's a right-handed hitter and is one of the better prep hitters in this year's draft class. Quality bat-to-ball skills and strike zone awareness. He uses a quick swing and makes consistent hard contact to all fields. Right now, he's more of a gap-to-gap hitter, but scouts expect him to continue to add more power as he continues to mature. Defensively, he's a guy that will stick at shortstop long-term, above-average defender with strong instincts and a quality athleticism too. He just moves well at shortstop and has soft hands, above average arm strength and throwing accuracy. And like I said, he's a guy that can stick at shortstop. And I think when we look at the Brewers draft, Cooper Pratt, Eric Batanti are going to be the two guys that kind of dictate if this draft class was successful or not. The Brewers kind of punted on the rest of their picks in day two. They did get some quality college pitchers, some guys that I think could be relievers at the major league level down the line. So there is potential in some of those other picks. But really, when we look at this draft, when we look at day two, it's Batanti and Cooper Pratt and those guys because of their high ceilings and just overall skill set on a field. The Brewers have historically in the last five or so years, at least, not gone with a lot of risk in the draft. They've preferred these college guys, these high floor guys that have slightly lower ceilings. But this year, the Brewers took some chances and looked at guys with more risk but more upside. And I like it. I think it could really pay off well for the Brewers. And if it does, if Cooper Pratt and Batanti end up being the real deal, the Brewers are going to have some great players in a few years down the line here. So that kind of sums up day two. Day three, it consisted of the Brewers kind of taking some chances on guys that might have some signability question mark. First off, on day three, out of their 10 selections, they picked nine pitchers. Out of those 10 selections, seven of the guys they took were high school players. Two four-year university guys and then one player was a junior college arm so the brewers definitely went the high school route on day three and that's sometimes hard because once you sign a guy for more than $150,000 in rounds 11 through 20 they start counting against your signing bonus allotment which I expect the brewers to use some of that savings on other guys from day one and two on a day three player or two we'll see who that ends up being I think they have some strong contenders but I think that's what the Brewers philosophy is because last year they only signed four of their 10 day three picks and I would expect a similar number this year they're going to sign the two college guys and then it comes down to who else they sign I bet they probably end up signing maybe two more of those guys and it's kind of similar to last year when they had four out of the 10 guys signed the Brewers overall in this draft class too just a quick note Preferred pitchers, 16, 16 of their 21 picks were pitchers. The other five guys, they took two 
third baseman, and three shortstops. Three shortstops were all high school guys, too. So an interesting draft for the Brewers. Went against the grain and their model in recent years and took some chances, and we'll see if it pays off. But looking at day three here quickly, I like some of the picks they had, and if they can get them signed, could really be added bonus to the draft class and the farm system in general the first guy is the 11th round pick bishop letson the right-handed pitcher out of the indiana high school ranks he's a guy that was well regarded someone that most scouts envisioned going in the first 10 rounds of the draft but didn't he's uh 6'4 170 pounds he's projectable and he's athletic and someone that in the right development system could end up having a lot of success his fastball was up to 94 miles an hour this spring features a lot of spin and late movement too he also has good feel for his slider he needs to develop it a little bit more needs to develop a little more consistency with that pitch but overall it flashes good potential also needs to develop a third consistent pitch too in his changeup. but either way Letson is a guy that is really data friendly someone that i think would thrive in the brewers pitching lab and their development program and have a lot of success and be ultimately able to reach his full potential due to the brewers track record of developing pitching we'll see if he signs he is a purdue commit but i think there could be a good shot that he signs he's definitely gonna get paid he's not gonna sign for one hundred fifty thousand dollars. it's gonna be much more than that we'll see what that number is over the next week or two but I think Letson could be a great signing. Another guy that could be a good signing is their 12th round pick, Bijorn Johnson, the right-handed pitcher from the Washington high school ranks. He's 6'2", 185-pound left-handed pitcher. Shows feel for all three of his pitches with his fastball touching 92 miles an hour. His best pitch might actually be his changeup, which is good for a high school guy. And he also mixes in a slurve. Unique profile because arm slot wise he's pretty much sidearm so that's not the most common arm slot definitely makes it a little bit more challenging when you're talking about developing pitches consistency with throwing strikes but he's someone that has a high ceiling could thrive again in the brewers pitching development system he is an auburn commit so the brewers will have to contend with that and quickly two more names that stand out to me from day three first jacob golston the 17th round pick he's a high school right-handed pitcher from texas great size at 66 200 and he's kind of a late bloomer he's a guy that in high school he started his high school career as a shortstop turned to being a full-time pitcher his sophomore year so not a lot of wear and tear on the arm still has a lot of room to grow add innings and develop more but from what we've seen so far of golston lot to like too primarily relies on his fastball slider combination fastball touches 93 miles an hour from a delivery standpoint i think this is important he uses a smooth delivery that's got clean mechanics he's right now not overpowering but his delivery is clean and i think ultimately as he matures more physically with that clean delivery that's going to lead to more powerful pitch mix he's an oklahoma commit so the Brewers are going to have to contend with that, especially a guy that was a 17th round pick. Probably not the most signable. We'll see if the Brewers can get him done, but the odds probably aren't the greatest. And then one other guy that stands out is a one junior college arm they took on day three, and that's Dylan Watts, a right-handed pitcher. He's 6'2", 180 pounds, lots of potential again. Relies primarily on that fastball slider combination, 
throws a lot of strikes, and his fastball sits in the low 90s. One thing that was common among all four guys I mentioned on day three is lots of potential, high ceilings. The Brewers took some chances here. That makes me think that they know they've got money left over from day one and two that they can use on one or two of these pitchers. I would expect at least one of them to sign. The Brewers are going to have some money to spend, and it's going to be enticing, I think, for one of them. And either way, if they can sign one of these four guys, or maybe even two of them, that would be great for the system, great for this draft class. We'll see. Time will tell on what the Brewers are able to do with these day three selections, but it wouldn't shock me to see one of them at least sign. The Brewers took some chances, but again, lots of potential with their day three picks. That is going to wrap it up mostly for the 2023 draft class. I'm going to be touching base with some of these 23 prospects, especially the ones the Brewers selected that I have relationships with already. So stay tuned for podcasts and stories in the next days, weeks, and months ahead. But besides that, we're kind of flipping now the page to 2024. You can find my first 2024 draft profile on Tyson Neighbors at BaseballProspectJournal.com. He's a closer at Kansas State, a power thrower, multi-inning closer, had a lot of success this past season, was one of the best pitchers, definitely from a reliever bullpen side in college baseball this season. So definitely check out that story on Tyson Neighbors. And then two, I also have stories on top prospects from the high school and college side for 2024. I know it's still early. We're a year out, but just want to put those lists out there. Highlights 10 to 15 guys, and that way it gives you a little glimpse on who to watch for this summer and fall as we get closer and closer to the draft and also as we make it our way through the summer showcase circuit, the fall season, and then ultimately into the spring season. So stay tuned and look for those articles. They're already on the website, so definitely check those out. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I'm Dan Zielinski, founder and national writer at BaseballProspectJournal.com. Check out our website, BaseballProspectJournal.com, for all your draft coverage. We're going to get going here on 2024. I'm excited about that. You can find me on Twitter at DanZielinski3. Also follow the website on Twitter at the BP Journal. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.